Well, we are looking in these first three Sundays of uh, December at the subject of simply, I call it optimistic. And uh, this is not really a Christmas series, wasn't intended to be a Christmas series. It is intended to be a year-end series, a series that sees us pulling the year to a close and then looking forward to 2017. And we're tracing the, uh, the steps of a young man named David when he faced off with a big man named Goliath. And today is the second in the series. Last week we saw that David was filled with optimistic enthusiasm. And today we're going to see David taking the next step. And then uh, next Sunday it is time for action. And I realize that schools will be out next week, but I hope you'll be here uh, for next Sunday. And while I'm uh, speaking of the Sundays remaining of the month, Christmas Day falls on Sunday this year. And on Christmas Day at 10 o'clock, we will have a, um, a very uh, unique Christmas service. I hope It's kind of a, an interesting thing, uh, Christmas Day being in church. Hmm. So we hope that you will be with us in church. My goal, and, and I'm very serious about this, my goal is to see us uh, able to finish the service, certainly in less than an hour and probably 45 uh, to 50 minutes. And it's broken up into three sections. I'll go ahead and tell you the sections, okay? The baby, you know, we have Christmas communion. And uh, we always have communion on a, the Sunday before Christmas or when uh, Christmas falls on Sunday. And here's the way the service is going to break up. It's going to be the baby, and that way we'll speak of and sing of the birth of Jesus. And we'll continue to sing of the birth of Jesus as we look at the body. And we'll see the, the body and we'll partake of the bread at that point, that center point in the service. And then the blood. And that will be the last part of the service as Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. And we will, uh, Larry Martin is going to sing Mary Did You Know? And I'm very uh, excited for Larry to be singing that. And that's the way that service is going to be done. It'll be, the communion will be a little different than normal in that it will be given to you as you come and sit down and you'll simply uh, take it and you'll put it in the communion holder, uh, the cup holder there in the uh, pew. And uh, if you happen to be sitting at a pew where there's not a cup holder um, today, you look and see if there's not one there, then you'll need to sit somewhere else on Christmas Day, all right? But uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're looking at verses 31 through 40. Life is filled with next steps. They're next steps in the lives of our, our children, uh, in the family decisions, um, there's always a next step to, to be thinking about. There's a next step in a purchase, maybe the purchase of a home or the remodeling of a home or the purchase, uh, a larger purchase like an automobile or an appliance or, or something along those lines. There's a next step in our spiritual commitment. There are next steps in our careers or in our education. Those next steps continue all the way through to the end of our careers and through the end of our careers and to the end of our lives. People are telling me once in a while, they, it's rare, I think it's more just a habit than anything else. They say, you're looking good. And I say back to them, you know, that's the last living compliment. Uh, the next one is, doesn't he look natural? So I, <clears throat> I, uh, I take what I can when I can get it. Uh, so I take the, you know, there are steps, next steps 
in our community. There's next steps in our country. There's next steps for businesses, and there are next steps for churches. There is a next step for this church. How do we know when it's time to take the next step? Well, after a display of optimistic enthusiasm, David was ready for the next step. So he put his optimism into action, and here's how it began. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for them, sent for him, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Now, what I want to do today is, with all of these messages, is I want to personalize the experience, the experience of David, and I want to place it into your life and into my life and into the life of our church. How can we take the next step that God has for us? How can you take the next step that God has for you? How can we keep moving forward in this life all the way to the next life? How is it that we continue to take next steps without even one time slowing down or stopping and saying, okay, I'm not taking any more steps? How do you continue to do that? Well, we're going to look today at David as, first of all, David learned to be bolder than his fears. Bolder than the fears of a lot of people, actually. As we've said, this miniseries is focused on optimism. To be optimistic, we must face our fears. All of us have fears, but sometimes we are frozen in our fears. You ever been frozen in your fear? Is that what David experienced? Was he frozen in his fears? No, the whole army of Israel, they were frozen in their fear, but I don't think it was David. There was enough fear going around. He could have caught it. Fear, just like bad attitudes and a lot of other things, is a virus and people catch it. You can catch the virus of fear. You can catch the virus of of distress. You can catch the virus of, of a bad spirit. What David saw in the battle scene was heart failure. He looked out among all of the the children of Israel, the, the soldiers of Israel, even the king of Israel, and there was heart failure. In fact, he addressed that with the king in verse 31, which we read, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. We call this being disheartened. Everybody gets disheartened. Choose any area in life and know that sooner or later you're going to be disheartened. It's not all honeymoon. It's not all big days. It's not all increasing bank accounts. It's not always good health. It's not always setting records. There are times when we are disheartened. Disappointment and fear of failure is a a part of life because we do become disheartened. But that's not all of life. 
What has you frozen? Some of you may be frozen in fear right now. You might be unable to make the next step, unable to move. Is it something regarding your health? Did something happen in your family that has you frozen right now and, and you're, a, you're afraid of the next step? What's the next step going to look like? Is it a financial issue? Is that the thing that has you frozen? There's probably something that you're facing that's bigger than you. Something that you're facing and you think, oh my goodness, this thing can do me in. Bigger than you, something for which you're going to need divine intervention if you're able to work your way through it. The army of Israel faced overwhelming disheartenment. They had hearts that were failing them. David offered to them hopeful courage. In 1 Samuel 17, 32, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Hopeful courage. Everybody is sad. Everybody is disheartened. Everybody wants to quit. Everybody wants to run. But there's this one young man that said, hey, I'll do this. I got this. Don't worry about it. Here's something that we want to see when trouble's all around us. We want to know that someone has hope and is committed to helping us get through our trouble. We're looking for somebody that will hold on to us and guide us through our trouble. David was that person. He was that person for King Saul and the the army of Israel. He did not hesitate to commit to the battle. He was a man, a young man of action. And he said, I have got this. Don't be afraid of the Goliath. I will face this Philistine. I will do this. He had courage. Better than finding people of hopeful courage is to be that person of hopeful courage. Is that who you are? Are you a person of hopeful courage? Are you a person that no matter what, people are going to turn to you because you have the courage, you have the hope, you have the confidence, you are going to guide whatever is going on, you're going to guide the folks through it. I'll face that giant. Are you that person? Mark Twain said, Courage is the resistance of fear, the mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. I love what John Wayne, John Wayne said, and I'm not talking about John Wayne Glover, although John Wayne Glover might have uh, said this too. John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Amen? That's good. Winston Churchill gave this intuitive observation that you see on the screen. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is courage to continue that counts. In the face of fear, David offers hopeful courage. And then somebody else was there to offer honest reality. I don't think negativity. I think reality And it was Saul, verse 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he's been a man of war 
from his youth. He wasn't negative. He was just realistic. Take a look at him, David. Take a look at you. You can't do this. David was a youth. What does that mean, that David was a youth? Well, for this answer, you have to go back to the regulations for serving in the army of Israel. They are given, and here's a portion of them that speaks to the issue with David. In Numbers chapter 1 and verse 3, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. Now, there were three brothers that were at war, so obviously they were 20 or older. David was younger than 20 because he wasn't able to go to war, and he had four brothers that that were at home who were also unable to go to battle, or they weren't at battle. I don't know whether they were able to go or not, but they weren't at battle, and I can assume, I think we could assume, that they weren't able So David is the youngest of eight sons, five of which it doesn't seem are old enough to go to battle, three that were old enough to go to battle. So how old was was David? Well, David could have been, and, and I'm not necessarily one that believes that he was this young, but David could have been in middle school. Can you imagine a seventh grader? going to fight Goliath, or an eighth grader, or a ninth grader? On the other hand, Goliath was huge, really big. How big was he? Well, there's a lack of consensus on this, and I don't want to get too technical. I could give you all of that. But let me just give it to you in minimum and maximum. Depending on how you measured certain things. As a minimum, he was six feet and nine inches tall, as a minimum. As a maximum, which I lean toward because the size of, of the, his spear and all that, he was nine feet and nine inches tall. I lean more toward the fact that either way, he's bigger than me, but, but I lean toward him being nine feet and nine inches tall. And the average height of a of an Israelite soldier, the average height of a, a Jewish man back then, five foot five. So just, and then David is a boy. So he hasn't even reached average height, probably. Uh, Saul knew that a teenager was not going to have a chance against this sizable, seasoned, scary soldier. You're not going to have a chance, buddy. I'm glad you came. But this is not going to work for you. However, David knew something that Saul didn't know. And David had a belief that Saul didn't understand that could exist in a young man like David. It's a factor for all of us. It's a factor when we believe that God can empower our lives and God can do great things through our lives. Here's here's what David realized. David realized that he was bigger than his resume. Do you feel that way about yourself? Do you feel that you're bigger than your resume? No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm whatever that paper says. No, no. You're bigger than your resume. David certainly was. We all have a resume of life. 
stuff we know, stuff we can do. We all have that. We, we, we know what we've done. We know what we have the ability to do. We know what hasn't been put on paper but could have been put on paper had we decided to go ahead and pursue it. All of us have that. And if you don't have a resume of life that includes more than, uh, if, if you don't have in your understanding that you are more than what is put on paper about you, then really you have limited what God can do with your life and through your life. What makes our resume different from somebody else? What makes, what makes a resume of this guy and this guy, both who have similar jobs and similar abilities, what makes the, res, uh, the resumes different? Well, one of the guys says, well, I'm, I'm as big as my resume. And the other guy says, you know, I'm not so. I, that's just what's on paper about me. All of us have the option of being bigger than our resume. Now, whether or not you are, well, I guess that's up to you. I, I like to think of it as, you've heard me say this before, God confidence. We have self-confidence and God confidence. God confidence is the best kind of, of confidence. Know what God has done and believe that God can do more uh, to us, through us, and for us. That is God confidence. I can do this because God has equipped me <coughs> to do this. I can be that person because God will make me that person. I have God confidence. David had God confidence. He was just a kid. But he had God confidence. Look at verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And let me just stop right there. Let me just stop right there. Take, take that back off so they won't keep reading. The, 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 did you take it off? Yeah, Thanks. One of these days, I'm going to get quick enough to turn around and see my face instead of the back of my head. I'm moving in that direction, I'm telling you. Cat-like reflexes. David, what was I saying? Oh, don't put it back up there. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Now, do you know? used to keep sheep. He's already gone through a career change in his mind. Do you know when he used to keep sheep for his father? Yesterday. (laughs) Yesterday. I mean, he's already moved on. He said, well, looks like there's an opportunity. Looks like there's a door open. At the end of this day, I'm not going to be a keeper of sheep. I'm the used to be a keeper of sheep. I'm the used to be the guy. Things have changed for me. Now we go on. And when there was a lion or a bear, and I took a lamb from the flock, I, I, that took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall uh, be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. 
I mean, <laughs> he had just got through saying, you can't do this, son. And then all of a sudden, David gives this, yes, I can, yes, I can, yes, I can speech. And so Saul says, go. See, David knew what had already been done. David tells King Saul that he had faced off with a lion and he had faced off with a, with a bear while watching over the sheep of his father. It sounds to me like he punched the bear and he grabbed the lion by the, the mane and beat him to death. That's the way it sounds like to me. It's not too shabby for a teenager. You say, how could, how could he do that? Well, thanks to YouTube, I think I can show you. How many of you saw this week on YouTube the guy punch the kangaroo in the face? Would you raise your hand? Oh, the rest of you missed it. I'm sorry. You'll not miss it now. Think of David punching the bear in the face when you look at the first of all, before you, you the, the kangaroo, full size, full grown kangaroo, has a dog and is choking the dog to, uh, off choking the dog off. And the guy, evidently the guy was, the dog belonged to the guy. And so, boom, this happens. Boom. Let it go, dogs, let's go. Now the dog's coming. Let's give that Aussie a hand. Isn't he great? Hey, you're not going to choke my dog. I'll punch you in the mouth. I hope that guy's name was David. That is just plain awesome right there. David punched a bear in the mouth. David grabbed a lion by the beard and pulled him around. David knew what he had been done, uh, what he had done. David knew what had already happened. Not only that, he knew what could be done. He didn't just live in the past. He knew there was stuff ahead. Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. While there were those who were old enough to be in the army were thinking of all the reasons they, they shouldn't face off with the giant. David, who wasn't old enough to be in the army, couldn't think of any reason he shouldn't face off with the giant. At some point, somebody had to do something. I mean, this thing was going to keep on going and going, and somebody had to do something. And David said, it's got to be me. I'm the one. I've got to do something. So he volunteered. Most people don't volunteer. Those, those of you who are in the U.S. Army, you remember never volunteer. Do you remember that? Never volunteer. The sergeant comes in. He says, I need a truck driver. 
And the volunteer says, I'm a truck driver. What does the sergeant give him? A wheelbarrow. You just don't volunteer in the Army. But some people do. In fact, on December the 16th, 1944, during the Battle of the Bulge, Germans attacked with more than 200,000 troops and hundreds of tanks along a 75-mile front in Belgium and Luxembourg. The area was patrolled by the U.S. forces. They were green troops who had just arrived. They were, and then there were some battle-weary soldiers there as well. And they needed rest. There weren't anybody that was really ready to face 200,000 German soldiers. One of the unsung heroes of the battle was a teenager, a 19-year-old boy. There he is as a not-so 19-year-old anymore. He was from Baltimore, Maryland. His name was Albert Durago. Durago had never fired a bazooka in his life, but on December the 19th, 1944, his superiors were looking for volunteers to go after some German tanks. And Durago and another 19-year-old boy said yes. Years later, Durago admitted, I didn't know the first thing about bazookas. But other soldiers loaded the bazooka for him and he told, and told him to fire in the German tanks and their rear engines. Durago, who later said, I knew God was with me, headed over a hill under heavy German fire without any cover. And once he spotted four German tanks, he aimed, pulled the trigger, and surprisingly, a direct hit. When he got back to the camp, the officers asked him to go again. So with a reloaded weapon, he crept down the hill again, and he looked for the hedge, and he fired, and he got another direct hit. And again, he escaped. In December of 2014, at the 70th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge, Durago said, believe it or not, I didn't even think about volunteering for the task. It was something that had to be done, and we did it. I never considered myself brave. Somebody had to do it, and I was there. There are going to be a lot of opportunities in your life for you to be there because somebody has to do it. You can volunteer. You can volunteer in, in times of life, in times of community, in your spiritual walk. There will be times when the opportunity will come and somebody has to do it and you are there and you can say, I'll do that. I'm there. I can do it. I'm glad to do it. Like David, Albert Durago said, they're formidable, but I can go. In fact, David went even beyond this. He not only knew what could be done, he knew what would be done. In 37, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You know what that is? That's God confidence. David had confidence in God and he had confidence in himself as an instrument of God and he said, I will go. That might be where we 
lack it. That might be where we say, let somebody else do it. We've got confidence in God and we have some confidence in ourselves, but we don't have confidence in what God can do with us and through us. To come to this place, David had to know himself. And even as a young man, he, he knew who he was and that God would use him. In fact, this bring me, brings me to the last point of the message. David believed in himself. You have to. You have to believe in yourself. While all of this is under the umbrella of having confidence in God, there must be a good understanding of ourselves. Have enough self-awareness to know how God can use you and have enough faith to believe that God will use you regardless. I have a son who's a police officer in South Florida in a fairly small police agency. They have probably 110 uniformed officers. It's it's good-sized town, but but, uh, smaller than, say, a, a Tallahassee Police Department. And I've told him from, the, from day one, from day one, I've said, son, you're probably going to be the chief of police there one day. Because I believe he will. I, I just, I know who he is. And I know what he's got. And I know how God can use him. And I really believe that. Now, I can believe that all day long, but He has to believe that God can do this through his life. He has to believe that there's a chance. He has to believe that there's an opportunity. David believed. David David believed that he could do what needed to be done to face off with the Philistine army. You have to know yourself and know your gifts and know what you can do and actually what you can't do. Let, Let me say this to you. There are plenty of people in this church who can sing. And thank God for every one of you. There are a few of you who croak like a frog. I'm going to say something that I believe is a universal truth. You will never sing a solo in this church. He said, well, Pastor Ray, you're going to retire in June. I'll sing after you're done. No, you won't. These people aren't going to lose their senses just because I'm gone. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you can do and what you, what you can't do. David had a lot of confidence, but David also knew that there were limitations that he had as well. And he had to go with what he knew he could do. Let me show you what that means. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head. Now he puts this on this teenage boy, and clothed him with a coat of mail. It's that chain stuff. And David wrapped his sword, and, and David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, but he had not tested them. Now, get this picture. He's got all of Saul's stuff on him, including the sword, and he can't move. He can't take a step. And the reason he couldn't take a step is he'd never used them before. And so David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I've not tested them. 
So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch and his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Very quickly, let me give you this. Here's what others saw. Saul's idea was that David needed every advantage, so he lent him his own armor. There are a lot of reasons that this wouldn't work for David. One is David was a boy, but the main reason was that Saul himself was a big man. You ever heard of somebody who's head and shoulders above everybody else? Boy, oh, so-and-so, he just head and shoulders above everybody else. Literally, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else in, in 1 Samuel 9, 2. And <clears throat> he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a, a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For his sho- from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. By the way, that makes me believe that <clears throat> Goliath was nine foot nine. Because clearly, Saul <clears throat> was a big man too. Somehow Saul believed that his armor would fit this teenage boy. That's what others or what Saul saw. Here's what David saw. What David saw said, I I can't do this. I can't fight him with your armor. I can't fight him with what you have the ability to do. Uh, It's very simple. I know how God has blessed me before. I know how the lion died. I know how the bear died. I know how I have fought against other wild animals that were trying to destroy my father's sheep. I know what I can do. I appreciate your kindness and your offer, but I got to tell you, I don't believe in them. I believe in what God has done in my life. In fact, this was something that David knew. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And next Sunday, I'll tell you the story of what happened with him and the Philistine. But let me say this. David knew who he was. And he knew how God had equipped him. His optimistic enthusiasm has now become God confidence. He was ready for the next step. Keep your armor. Come on, Goliath. I'm ready for the next step. Are you ready for the next step? What is your next step? What's the next step for your family? What is the next step for your church? This year is ending, and another one soon to begin. There's a next step for all of us. And we're going to take the next step, but will we take it with God confidence and optimism about what God is going to do? Or will we be hesitant? Will we say, well, I don't think I'll face that challenge in the year to come. I would say to you that while all of us have a next step,
we should see it like this. Somebody needs to do it. It might as well be me.